Welcome to Farm Crunch, the radio show that brings you the best of urban farming here in northern New Jersey. I'm your host, Stephanie Koslow, and I invite you to join me as we explore the joys and challenges of cultivating your own vegetables and raising happy and healthy hens using either our backyard space or community garden plot space to the max. With more than 10 years of experience under my belt, I'm super excited to share my knowledge and passion with you. And whether you've been gardening or mini farming for a while or just starting out, Farm Crunch is the perfect place to tune in for tips, tricks, and inspiration. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get farming. Good morning, fellow gardeners, farmers, and earth lovers. Today, we're going to do something exciting and leave northern New Jersey to visit a couple amazing places doing interesting farm work that we would definitely not typically ever get to experience. On our first visit, we will be with Stephen Chandler, owner of the Northern Vermont Llama Company and Christmas Tree Farm who I met recently when he hosted a llama trek, which was a visit of a lifetime. Then we will visit via Zoom in a field with my son Gabriel, who is currently completing a one-month internship on the Hawaiian island of Maui. He is the only helper this month on this brand new coffee farm, and we will learn from him some very fun and surprising facts. Listeners, did you know that your coffee beans start as coffee cherries and they look like cherries too? I didn't know that and I look forward to sharing all the exciting details with you. So grab your cup and here we go. Stephen, I'm having such a good time with you on this llama hike, this llama trek. Llama trek. Tell me your full name. My name is Stephen Chandler Mm -hmm. with a PH. Uh Uh-huh. And... We are on the llama trek right now. The llama trek right now. That's right. I'm so excited. We've got like six llamas and six trekkers plus you. Yes. <clears throat> yes. We have six six llamas that I can bring. We have 12 llamas total that can go on the hikes. Uh-huh. Yes. Right. And um, they're super cute and furry and everybody is petting them like crazy and taking a million pictures. So they live on your farm, I'm assuming. Yes. And what is the name of your farm? So we are Northern Vermont Llama Company and Christmas Tree Farm. Llamas and Christmas trees. Yes. So you're telling me in the summer you do llamas. Yes. Llamas. And in the winter you do Christmas tree sales. Yes. So from Thanksgiving to Christmas, we have our farm open and people come to the farm and they can cut their Christmas tree. Oh, uh, They yeah. can get it off the lot uh-huh. and see all the llamas and we have miniature donkeys as well. Oh my gosh. How many miniature donkeys do you have? We just have two right now, Cher- Herbert and Chester. Uh-huh. Okay, and how many llamas do you have in total? So we have 19 in total. 19 in total, and are all 19 working? All 19 are not. We have 12, I like to say 12 and a half that are working, because we have a baby who's on the hike today, Finnegan, and then we have I an have older Finnegan. one, yeah. who's DJ, who goes on about one hike every couple, on once a month, because he's 17, and he's a retired llama. Oh, so, he's semi-retired. Semi-retired. When he, <laughs> when, he like, when he wants to go out for a hike, he'll go out for the hike, but he gets it to choose. I have to say, they all seem like they love, love, love doing the hikes. They're very curious by nature. So this is a lot of new stuff for them. It's a lot, there's a, pretty much a big salad menu out here for them because they can eat everything that they walk along the trail. 
And they do love meeting new people, especially when they get led along. They're very curious by nature. Wow. So I've seen them. They're eating the ferns. They're eating the um, evergreen trees and regular leaves also. Yep, pretty much everything that's green that they will eat. There's nothing up here in Vermont that they can't eat, which is really awesome. They uh, <clears throat> really seem to love the Christmas trees, and it might be a little bit from our Christmas tree farm. They've grown fond of them. Aww. But they will actually devour an entire Christmas tree and strip it right down the bark, and then they actually rub on it to scratch their bellies. <laughs> okay. And so, but are they usually mixed in with the Christmas trees, or do they have their own section, and does the Christmas tree have like a Christmas tree patch? Like so how, there's ma- a Christmas- how many acres is your farm? So we have about seven or eight acres of Christmas trees. Okay. And then we have about seven or eight acres of llama pastures. Wow. And so the llamas are in fenced in areas, but what we'll do is we'll throw in Christmas trees that we don't sell through the year, or if we have any, when we make wreaths and garlands and anything like that that's left over, we'll put it right in the pen and they'll eat it right up and they love it. Wow. And so I see some of your llamas are carrying packs, like of stuff on their backs, and some of them don't. How do you know which one gets a pack and which one doesn't? So basically, after they're over three and four years old is when they're getting into their adulthood stage, and then they can start carrying weight. With Finnegan here, he's our two-year-old, so he's just training today. So he's just out for a stroll right I, now. I have Finnegan's. Yes, today. you're doing a great job. You're 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 <laughs> going to be a big part of Finnegan's training for his future. <laughs> oh and so that's gosh. where. So Finnegan next year he'll start having a pack on, and we'll put little bags on just so that he gets used to the weight and stuff tickling his t- stomach and straps on his belly and everything like that. And then by the time that he turns to Earl and Doc's age and he gets to be an adult llama, he's going to know all about packing. He's going to know all about stuff that's been on his back. And basically, as far as the weights on the back, it's all on the size of them. If there are smaller llamas, they can't carry as much weight. But most llamas can carry about a quarter of their own weight. So, And, and okay, so I love that. But there seem like such gentle giants. Like most of these llamas are taller than we are. Yep. And, you know, I thought I heard about llamas spitting and stuff, but there hasn't been any spitting today. And they all seem to know how to follow one another on the trail. That's a great observation. So it's one that llamas are one of the calmest and most laid back animal, especially for their size, that you'll ever meet. They can't bite and they can't kick. They can do the motions, but they have no teeth on the top of their mouth. And the bottom of their foot is as soft as like the palm of your hand. So they can't kick and they can't bite. The only thing they can do to let anyone know they're not happy is spitting. And if that's your only defense mechanism, that's not a very good one. (laughs) Uh -uh. But as far as these guys, it's kind of their herd management. So that's where when in the beginning of the hike, I tell people to not let them sniff each other's tail because that's kind of the little trigger that these guys, they like their privacy of their own tail. And as long as no one's sniffing them, they won't have any um, spitting going on. As far as at people, I've been around them for 33 years. I've never been spat at directly by a llama. It's all intermingled within the herd. It's usually over food or, like I said, someone sniffing another llama's butt and they're not happy about it. (laughs) So that's usually the the grumpiest llama that you'll get. And that's where, especially on the hikes here, they really are going to do everything as they they possibly can not to spit because they really don't like doing it. And I saw the way you brought them here looked like it was like in a van. Yes, so we had six in the back of a sprinter van. And so they were actually, we get three right in the back, and then we close the gate and have three lay down in the front. And that's where 
I never have any spitting in the van. They all mind their manners. They think they, once they have the halters on and they get in the van, they know they're going to work. And they are smart enough that they realize that they shouldn't be spitting and that that's where they don't spit. So they just like sit down themselves in the van. They prefer to be like laying down. I line them up and then they choose where they want to lay down. Wow. And um, you also do the Christmas trees. We do. And that's where, so from Thanksgiving to Christmas, we on Fridays through Saturdays and Sundays, we have our farm open and we have a gift shop. We have a little Santa's village and people come up and cut their own Christmas tree down. The llamas love it because everyone brings their dogs up to, to explore the property and llamas think dogs are one of the coolest animals in the world. They love saying hi. And then we have the miniature donkeys as well now. So... Everyone kind of just gets to hang out, and if we have some snow, they can do some sledding, and you get to say hi to llamas, hang out, and pick your own Christmas tree. So which is harder to, to do, the Christmas tree part or the llama part? The Christmas tree part, hands down. I spend pretty much the majority of my time with either mowing or handling the Christmas trees as far as shearing and just upkeep. With the llamas, I basically I have to check that they have water, move them in pastures every couple weeks, and count heads to make sure they're all there at night. And that's about it. That's, I mean, that is counterintuitive. I'm thinking you're cleaning the llamas because they look so clean. No, I'm thinking like, I don't know that you've got to like brush them every day. Nope. They, uh, they, they, they take dust baths. So they, they'll get dirty, but then they kind of shake out like a dog and it all drops right off. Their fiber is very uh, handy as far as that goes. And then as far as actually, um, cleaning up their manure or anything like that. They go all in one spot in the pastures and in the barn, so it makes it a very easy cleanup. Right, they do have a, they have their own like bathroom area yes. that they make for themselves. Yes, so they kind of will pick a spot in every pasture that they're in, and they'll start going to the bathroom there, and then after that, um, they'll go in the same spot for years at a time, and they will never eat that area because that's where they went to the bathroom, and that's not what they want to do, and that's where it's very handy because they won't pick up viruses or anything like that, or parasites from the manure like other animals. Because they will not touch where they ate, where they went to the bathroom, so it's very handy. And then, as far as cleanup, they all go in the same spot. So you just have to quick little cleanup, maybe five minutes every couple of days, and you're all set. And wow. That's with thirteen llamas in one area. So you're telling me that I should be very grateful when I get a beautiful Christmas tree because that's where all the effort goes. Absolutely. There's lots and lots more time and effort put in, and then it also hopefully nothing happens in eight years while the Christmas tree grows that it sets it back and it dies. So. Llamas are very easy. Oh. Christmas trees, every single year, you're hoping that they're all going to make it through and they're going to get to their next their next age uh, age growth. Wow. Thank you so much for taking the time no to problem. tell me about this today. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. We are having such a good time, aren't we? We are. I'm the, glad everyone's having a good oh time. Oh, my gosh. I love it. All right. Let's get back on the trail. Perfect. Gosh, I love that chat with Stephen. Now we're going to join Gabriel, who is currently standing in the middle of his Maui coffee farm in the mountains, overlooking the bay. We're having our first look around on Zoom and discussing what we see. So let's take a look at this one right here. That's a nice one. Yeah, this coffee coffee was picked up like uh, four days ago, so there aren't too many. And here's a coffee branch. You'll see there's a whole cluster right here. Yeah, there's it's like... um... They're smaller than marbles, for yep. sure, and they're green and red. Does green yeah. make, does green mean not fully ready, and red means ready, or vice versa, or they're both ready? No, uh, yeah, the greens are not ready at all. The red ones, these red ones, I guess you could say are ready. 
just barely. And then here I'll show you a good example of like a dark red purple one right here. Right, because what one. I see is a bright green and then I see yeah. a super bright red and now, now I'm seeing like a middle red. That's yeah. a, a well, nice like dark, dark, dark red. Purple. And there's a little purple in there, right. Yeah, and this one's totally ready. Let's actually open this one up so you can see what it looks like on the inside. That'd be great. I just can't believe oh, yeah. that I've been drinking coffee every day my entire life and never knew what a coffee plant looks like. Wow, look at that. That looks like a cherry. I broke this. I broke the, the skin off, whatever you want to call it. And then inside are two very slimy beans. Yeah. Very slimy, like hard to pick up kind of slimy. Right. So I guess it sort of looked like it was a cherry and that it was going to be a pit on the inside, but it's not a pit. It's the two beans. The two beans, yep. Two beans per coffee berry. Right. So the whole structure is kind of like there's this red skin on the outside and then the two beans on the inside and the beans are covered in this slimy film. Underneath that film is the hull and underneath that hull is the, is the, is the bean. Right. And to get this, this slimy part off, because we have to get the slimy part off before we can dry it in the sun, all we do is soak it in water and let it ferment. For how long? Uh, for uh, about four days, I would say. Mm -hmm. Four days, and it smells, it, sh it smells awful, and you can tell it's fermenting because the smell do you is stir it, Do you stir it during those four yeah, days? I, yeah, I stir it like twice a day. Twice a day. And, and you, don't change out, you don't change out the water? No. Okay. And there's no, no detergent at all, like no even organic detergent, nothing. You don't need it. You just use plain water. Plain water. Okay. And when we talk about water, I also want to talk about like, do you need a lot of water to grow and maintain coffee plants? Like, do you have an um, irrigation system here or what's the... Quite what's, elaborate irrigation system here. It okay. starts up on the hill and you can see there's a bunch of hoses that are running along these weed mats. Yes. So, this whole field is covered in weed mats. Every single square inch is covered in weed mats, except for the coffee trees. Because if you take the weed mats off for even a couple of days, um, you'll, weeds will start to grow. You'll see here that there's like, even where the weed mat is, there's like a weed growing. And I just pulled all the weeds like five days ago, and this is already here. And the irrigation system runs underneath these mats. So if I pulled these mats up, you'd see a bunch of PVC pipes, and hoses with holes in them uh, that can slowly uh, deliver water to all the trees. Fascinating. Uh, I actually think the, this weed matting, the water can get through it. And I, I think it holds the water in for longer. Mm. So I, good, I, I believe it's good for holding water in the ground. That's what I want to hear. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I'm looking at these plants right now. They look like they're about waist height. Uh, no, they're about head height. A little taller. A little more like head height. Okay. Probably tall each. And the leaves are very simple looking. Yeah, very waxy. Waxy. Oh, they are very waxy, very shiny. <laughs> right. I know that some of them have this little green, little green to them, like this kind of turquoise color. Mm -hmm. That's because I did spray them all with something like an anti-fungicide. That's what I was going to ask you next. You know, do you have to worry about bugs and fungus? 
Yeah, the biggest thing is fungus and ants. Some of the plants have tons and tons of ants on them because they like the sugar. Right, maybe sure. that gooky stuff inside the the uh, inside the the uh, coffee bean is like sugary. Oh, it's extremely sugary. It's, it, it, when you when you pick the coffee, your hands are totally sticky afterwards. And mm. I'll emphasize this point further by showing you this. Where see, so yeah, this is kind of like a yellow bean. Yep. They come in different colors. Some of the coffee, most of the coffee is red. Some of them is yellow, like this. And some of them is some of them are orange. I like the yellow ones the best. And when I'm picking coffee or just pruning the trees, I'll eat, eat them. Really? I miss it. And you just chew it. It has very good sweet taste. And then I just spit it out. More like a thing to chew on. Uh huh. It sounds like fun. It's very good. Yeah, but you can tell how much sugar is in the bean. Uh, when you chew on it like that. And so will the ants destroy the, the coffee bean if left unchecked? Or uh, more of the fungus is the issue? Maybe. I, I've seen some coffee trees that are covered in ants, and the beans are still pretty good. Um, they just look a little dirty. Mm-hmm. I think the fungus is the biggest issue, and we don't really have an issue with that right now. You'll also notice that the mats are pretty clean. Like, you'd think there'd be leaves and beans all over them just accumulating, but uh, I sweep the mats like once every two weeks because there is a beetle or a bug that lives inside rotting coffee beans, and that can hurt the trees. So I sweep all the rotting debris off the mats every two weeks. Wow. Yep. How much does it rain where you're staying in Maui? Uh, It rains way more where I am. Like, if you went half a mile and down there, like, see that I'm on the mountain, you can see the bay. Like, it doesn't rain very often in the bay. It probably rains every other day here. Uh-huh. Like a nice soaking? Light. What was that? Like a nice soaking? No, no, very lightly. Okay. Probably soaks here, like, once a week. And so you're picking off these, uh, when I look at those coffee beans, they're together in giant clusters. So yeah. are you just cutting off the clusters? No, I just, that look at this, it's incredible. I just pick them with my fingers one by one. Really? You pick them one by one? Yep. And there's 50 of those plants. So how many yep. hours a day are you picking coffee? Uh, I you only pick, you pick very, let's say the least, the least of my concerns. Uh, we don't pick very often. And when we do, we have like five or six people come and join us and we make them dinner. Uh-huh. So we just employ locals to help us with that. Friends of ours. Uh-huh. We had a coffee picking party um, two weeks ago where there were probably eight of us and we swept through the whole field in like two hours and picked every single bean. That was available. Wow. So you just do it like every so often? Yeah. So the least, and you say it's the least of your problems because then there's so much processing to be done after the, the bean is picked. But the processing takes way longer than the picking. Wow. And so does the farmer who owns this farm, this is like her entire, this is it. She has these 50 plants. It makes a certain amount of coffee. 
but let's just stick with coffee for right now. You'll see there's a lot of deer poop here. Yeah. The one nice thing about coffee is that the deer have no interest in the coffee. Well, here in Bergen County, we'd be very happy to hear that. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of feral pigs in this property, too. I'll go and show you where the pigs have been, and they totally destroy everything. They feral like... pigs? Yeah, they're enormous. How big is an, a feral pig? Uh, 200 pounds. <gasps> you have feral pigs? Like pigs that are in the wild, and they're 200 pounds. Yeah, they're like a big dog, the size of like a golden retriever, but they're a pig, so they're much heavier. Wow. And so I, I think the entire farm is, is fenced in, right, so that the pigs can't get in. Oh, they can get in. They, they, the farm is not fenced in very well, um, and the pigs get in all the time. Every morning, actually, I see a pig, probably. And what are they doing? Are they eating anything that they shouldn't be eating, or are they just pooping in there? They were eating all the chicken eggs, and I actually saw a pig with yolk on his face one time. Um, but I fenced off the chicken coop, so nothing can get in there now. Um, and now they're just kind of rolling around in the plants. I'm not really sure what they're doing. They're digging a lot of holes. That's what, that's what they're doing. What they're looking for, I'm not sure. Wow. And nobody eats feral pig, is that correct? Oh, they, everyone eats feral pig. Oh. Yeah, it's good. I've never had it, but I've heard. You always see hunters on the side of the road here. Is that bows right? and arrows. Really? Bow and arrow? Yeah. Wow. Let me show you how we get the red skin off of the cherry to separate the slimy bean. We have this machine here. A big red machine. Yeah, it's like a grinder. has a motor and a belt. Yep. Again, right not that big. Uh, not that big, but extremely heavy. And uh, I built this table so that when we, we fill this top section with the cherries as much as we can, turn the grinder on and the, the skin falls through the table. Under a bucket, we usually put this black black bin underneath the table to catch the skins. And then out of the back comes all the beans, and we catch those in a bucket as well. And then they go to the table to get dried. And then we take those slimy beans. Oh, wait, they've got to be in, soaked. Yeah, we put them in these buckets of water right here. And then they ferment over the course of four or five days. And then we put them onto the rack to dry. And then once they're dry... We put them in a hauling machine, which I think is the coolest part of the process. Whoever designed it is very clever. And it's right here. It's this bucket. And simply, it's a bucket with a big blade on the bottom. It's like a blender. And this controls the speed. And the blade just whacks the beans around as much as it can and knocks the hull off. And this shop vac gets connected to the top. So as the beans are getting chopped up in the bottom and the hulls are getting removed, the shop vac will suck the hulls up into it. So the beans are left on the bottom and the hulls get sucked into the shop vac. Wow. And if you even open the shop vac right here, you'll see that there's a, a ton of hulls uh, just sitting in there. 
Wow. And then and once the hulls are off and the beans are exposed, we take them to, we take them to the roaster. And the roaster roasts them however we want, medium, strong. Right. And do you do you grind them further or you sell them as um, whole beans? We sell them as whole beans in half pound bags. And where are they sold? Uh, around local farmers markets. Right. They never even leave the island. Oh, uh, no, they don't really leave the island. I'm sure that the woman who owns this farm would be happy to sell them elsewhere, but... Uh, I don't think there's a setup to that right now. Right. It's a new farm. Wow. So I finally now, as a person drinking coffee every single day, will know where my, how, how coffee is made, which is something I can't believe I've never seen a coffee plant until you left for Maui to go work on a coffee farm. Yeah, it's a, uh... It's amazing how much can grow on just one tiny tree. I mean, it's sort of like how packed it is in upstate New York when you go to the apple orchard and there's so many apples per tree. Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like it's packed like that. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think you should tell us whether or not you drink coffee. (laughs) I do not drink coffee at all. I don't like it. I think it tastes terrible. Um, yeah. Bring home some coffee for your mother. Yeah, I will. It's the, it's the world's most expensive coffee too. In what way? It's like $30 for half a pound. Really? Wow. Right. Definitely not how Costco is doing it, but it's really like perfectly grown though. And hand-picked. Yeah, it's picked. totally organic, uh, hand-picked, sun-dried. Good stuff. It's so good. I, everything should be grown that way. Yeah. And do you grow crop like you know? Apple orchards are growing the apples once a year. Is coffee mm-hmm. only growing once a year, or can it grow back in the same year? Oh, I think it's a year-round thing. I mean, if you just take a look at the trees. Half the, at any one time, half the beans are small and green and half of them are ready to get picked. And then you'll pick those that are ready and then the green ones will become red and then more green ones will show up. So it's year I round. I think it's year round. I haven't been here long enough to say I've only been here for a month. Um, but from what I've seen here, it looks like it would be year round. Wow. So I guess some, I mean, if you're going to have a farm that's a coffee farm, you're going to always have to have people on site. There's no, like, taking time off because the coffee must be picked. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. Well, and it's really important to pick the coffee, too, because if you don't pick the coffee, that's, and they start to get really ripe and really sweet, and they start decomposing, that's when you have problems with the fungus, with the bugs, with the ants. So just... Maintaining, picking the coffee is essential for the tree's health. That's really good to know. And I guess pruning it too, because coffee technically is a tree, but you want to keep it more like a bush. Right, exactly. If you don't, it will grow straight up. So you want it to grow out to the side like a bush. Otherwise, it'll just become unpickable. 
That's so good to know. Gabriel, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all of your knowledge and experience about working on an organic coffee farm. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. I really learned a lot. (laughs) Well, fellow farmers and garden enthusiasts, we have come to the end of today's episode and I wanted to do my shout outs. Shout out to Stephen Chandler of Northern Vermont Llama Company and Christmas Tree Farm. I loved our llama hike together. And thank you to Gabriel Coslow, my son who joined me from his internship on a small, individually owned coffee farm in the mountains of Maui. Thank you for that. And Rakshak Kumar, who as always heads up our audio and makes this whole entire episode happen. Thanks to everyone and look forward to seeing you all on the next installment of Farm Crunch. Bye everyone. Bye.